Uh, good morning. How's that for to, to wake you up this morning? Do you ever feel like that? Every single thing you've ever done is wrong. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. I think that that impulse to change everything, to just try something completely different, all stems from asking the simple question of who am I, which George did fairly poorly, as we saw on Seinfeld. Uh, but it's a really necessary question, right? To ask ourselves, like, who are we? What are we all about? And of course, it's a question that changes 700 times in your life. You know, when you're five, when you're 10, when you're 15, when you're 18, when you're 25, and none of us are over 25, so that's where we stop. So it changes just constantly through our life, this qu the answers to the question, who am I? Virginia Woolf said that without self-awareness, we are as babies in cradles. Or from that queen of newspaper sarcasm and clear advice, Ann Landers herself, uh, she says, don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> uh, uh, there's an author that I really enjoy that's named uh, Adam Grant, and he wrote a book called The Originals. Um, that's all about original thinkers. It's a good book, but I'm not talking about that. But if you want, if you want book uh, suggestions, there you go. Get out your Goodreads app and, and add that in. Uh, but he recently wrote an article titled people don't actually know themselves very well. How's that for getting your attention? And his, his whole premise is pretty simple uh, from what he was coming at. He said that if, and he was mostly talking to businesses, to, to bosses as they're hiring people, he said, if you really want to know what a person's like, stop giving them personality tests and start giving a personality test to people who actually know them. Start asking their spouse, start asking their friends, start asking their other coworkers, and then you'll find out what a person is actually like in that setting especially. And so he goes through all these different examples of it, and he says, uh, you know, hopefully you are the best gauge of your own emotional self. I say hopefully because that's not always the case, but for everybody in this room, we'll say that we are the best gauge of our emotions, we are the best gauge of our internal dialogue, but... You might not be actually the best gauge of how confident and comfortable you are when you walk into a room full of people that you've never met. Whereas your spouse or your best friend may be a better gauge because they see how red your face gets immediately upon meeting all those new people or how much you stumble from word to word when you're engaging in that conversation that you thought you were being very uh, smooth and clear in. Uh, they see things that maybe we kind of wash over a little bit. Or uh, your coworker is probably a better gauge of your confidence when engaging with uh, your bosses, say, when you walk into a board meeting. They know how much tension there is in the room when you stand up and you grab your paper and your hands are shaking, uh, versus you might feel like everything's all good. Other people are sometimes a better gauge for who we are than we are ourselves. So what's his advice? He said, ask other people and still take the personality test because they're kind of fun and they're a little bit helpful. So who's taken a personality test? We're going to get real personal right now. I know you all have. So there's, there's no way that you can avoid this because we're all on Facebook and we all click on those links. You know what I'm talking about. You all have taken one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be really honest 
and we're going to admit the personality tests that we've taken this morning, okay? So I'm just going to want you to raise your hand. You don't need to call out your type when you hear a certain personality test. If you're a certain type of person, you might be sitting there and you're like, oh, I really hope he talks about the one that I like. And you're getting like really giddy on the inside. You're like, this one personality test, it just painted. It was like a Bob Ross painting of me. (laughs) Me, tranquil and at peace in every little happy tree and spot. And it's just like exactly how life is supposed to be. Like, that's the test. I hope he talks about that one. Maybe. We'll see. And ask your neighbor sitting next to you if your face gets bright red when when that one comes up. That's how we'll know how comfortable you are talking about it. Anyway, how about this one? The Myers-Briggs. Who's taken it? E slash INFP right here. If you've taken it, you know what that means. Now you know me. You're welcome. Uh, How about DISC? Anybody taken the DISC? I don't actually remember much about DISC other than the fact that I wanted to be a DI and not an SC, and I don't really know what that means, but I just remember that from it. Uh, Here's one that I had never heard of, but I think businesses do a little bit more, 16PF. Anybody taking that one? Okay, good. Oh, we got one honest person, there we go. You have to tell me later what that's about because I have absolutely no idea. Anybody taking an inkblot test? Now, before you get nervous about saying, this isn't just for knowing if you're a serial killer. There's other purposes. So anybody taking an inkblot test? Okay. (laughs) Uh, How about the Enneagram? There we go. There we go. Everybody shout out your number at the same time. One, two, three, seven. There you go. Uh, How about an intelligence test? IQ, uh, Wonderlick. I'll even include the clickbait that you find on Facebook. You know the one, you've clicked on it. It takes you to that BuzzFeed article, and then you click on something else, and it takes you to that page where it asks you five questions, and the five questions are all like short math problems that don't actually tell you if you're intelligent, but we've all taken one of those, haven't we? Be honest. Uh, Emotional intelligence? Did anybody buy the book and take the test? How about strength finders? Another buy the book, take the test. Okay, now, Strength Finders 2.0, because there's a difference. I have not figured out what that difference is, but there is a massive difference between Strength Finders and Strength Finders 2.0. That's all I know. There's so many tests, right, that we can obsess about, that we can take, that we could fill. I mean, we could fill months taking these tests, reading the books about them, and still walk away only probably knowing the same things about ourselves with a few fun details at the end. But it's all for this really admirable goal, and that's knowing yourself. As we start off this morning, I want to read an encounter that Jesus has with Peter, where he gives Peter a personality test of sorts, a really uncomfortable personality test if you're Peter, and that's in John 21. So if you have a Bible, you want to open up to that, you can. It'll also be on the screen. John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated it, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, said Peter, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked a third time, and he said, Lord, 
You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter turned around and he saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved, which is John, the guy who wrote this book. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Jesus? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. I love the way that this ends because I feel like Jesus gets a little snarky with him. Like, Peter's like, I don't want him to ask me this same question four times because it's getting uncomfortable right now. So he's like desperate looking around like, is anybody else here? Hey, how about John? John, hurry up, catch up. Jesus has a question for you. And Jesus is like, Peter, if I want him to live a thousand years, he'll live a thousand years. And the best part about this is that there was an actual legitimate story going around during the entirety of John's life that he was going to live forever because of the sarcastic comment that Jesus makes to Peter right here. Uh, I just love that. There's this, uh, this encounter is honest, it's vulnerable, it's a little bit painful, but I think it shows us two important truths about what it means to know ourselves as followers of Jesus. Here are those two. That Jesus wants us to be aware of what we really love and that he wants us to stop worrying about others and to be intentional about ourselves. So what does it look like to be intentional about knowing ourselves as followers of Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're continuing our series, like John said, called Imperfect Together. And today we're going to talk about having a transformational knowledge of me. Let's pray and then we'll continue. Jesus, I just thank you for what you want to do here today. I thank you for the way that you love us, uh, that you love the, the entirety of who we are, our whole selves, not just part of us, but our whole selves. And I pray that this morning that you'll reveal to us your love for each and every one of us holistically. And we'll walk out of here uh, above and beyond everything else, being more and more aware of your love for the entirety of who we are, the way that you created us. Uh, as we see you and the love that you've poured into us. Just ask for you to come to be here to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin, I just want to say clearly that learning about ourselves as followers of Jesus, it has to be grounded in our relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, I'm doing nothing but giving a good self-help talk, and honestly, I'm not interested in doing a self-help talk because that's not going to get us very far. So can I be a little bit blunt about self-knowledge apart from Jesus? Knowledge of self apart from Jesus only leads to self-obsession. It, it drives us to do two things, to either love ourselves inadequately or to hate ourselves, which is not good either. That's the only places that it goes if it's not grounded in a reality of our relationship with Jesus. We spend all of our time digging deeper and deeper and deeper, trying to figure out who we are. But if it's not grounded in a knowledge of who Jesus is, we're not going to get anywhere that's going to change us. We're not going to be transformed. It has to go hand in hand. And honestly, and hopefully you agree with me on this, I'm not interested in being the most self-aware person in the room just to be the most self-aware person in the room. That doesn't do that much for me. I'm interested in knowing myself so that I can know Jesus. 
That is the end game for all of this. That is where we always want to be focused as we learn about ourselves. In his book, The Gift of Knowing Yourself, which I would highly recommend buying, it's a small book. Uh, it's by David Benner, and I've read it like 25 times, probably not exaggerating. He calls this type of knowledge transformational knowing. And he says, we come to know God best, not by looking at God exclusively, but by looking at God and then looking at ourselves, looking at God and then looking at ourselves. Both God and self are most fully known in relationship with each other. Now, to some of us, that may seem a little counterintuitive. It might seem a little different than what we've thought before this, but there's, there's a method to this madness. There's something important that happens in our relationship with Jesus when we're not just so focused on him that we don't work on ourselves at all. We need to be working on ourselves because we're created in his image. There's something of him in us that needs to be perfected, that needs to be worked on so that we can then relate to him even better. So how does this work? What does this look like? Well, the first thing I think that we need to know, that we need to realize, is that we are deeply loved by Jesus. Uh, Hannah Hernard uh, wrote a book called Heinz Feet in High Places, and she wrote several other books and, and devotionals. Uh, and at one point she wrote that Jesus loves us with a passionately absorbed interest. A passionately absorbed interest. Now, I love that term for this simple reason that it makes Jesus sound a little bit like a stalker. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. If someone told you that they loved you with a passionately absorbed interest, you might get 911 on speed dial really quickly. Be like, yeah, it pushes beyond our normal conventions of society. It's kind of saying that his love for us is a little in too intense. He's always kind of there. He's never really disappearing. He's always around us. He's always pushing in. Uh, he doesn't know when to give up. He doesn't know when to stop. He, he doesn't even care about the boundaries that our society places on what is normal in our relationships. He just keeps driving in. And I love that. You can quote me on that. You can, if you want to tweet something today, tweet that. Stephen says that Jesus is like a stalker. There you go. And Paul talks about this. I'm not just making this up. Paul talks about this like overly intense kind of love in Romans 8. Listen to this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can ever come between us and the love of Jesus. Paul names all the things, all the options that we would toss out there, and he says, none of them are able to come between you and the love of Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you today, own that. Don't throw it away as small. Don't minimize it. Don't make it into in something insignificant. 
allow the truth that you are loved with a passionate, over-the-top, intrusive, slightly obsessive love that does not allow anything to come between you and Jesus. That is our truth as followers of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, is that this stalkerish kind of love, it's not just limited to people who already are following Jesus. He's doing that to every single person. He's coming after us all. He wants us all to know him deeply. The second thing that we need to have is courage to engage our weaknesses. So let me tell you about a part of my journey in this. So about eight years ago, I was going through training with the Vineyard to be a spiritual director, which basically meant it was a pretty sweet gig, not going to lie. I drove to a retreat center once a month. I had really good coffee, really good food. I hung out with cool people, and I got a retreat every month. That's not too bad, Um, which basically means that I get to sleep in and go to bed whenever I want to. Um, So it's not too bad, right? Uh, It was a good gig. But one of the weekends, we focused on knowing ourselves as a part of this. And the tool that we used for that whole weekend was the Enneagram, which John talked about earlier. He said that we were having that forum on it. Um, And the Enneagram is a personality tool with nine different personality types that are all based on needs. So they make everybody uncomfortable. So here they are. Uh, The first one is the perfectionist who needs to be perfect but you figured that out. Uh, The second one is the helper who needs to be needed. The third is the achiever. They need to be successful. The fourth is the romantic or the individualist. Um, They need to be special. Uh, They're often creatives. No pointing fingers if that's anybody around you. The fifth is the investigator who needs to know knowledge, and then they need more knowledge, and then they need more knowledge, and then they still need more knowledge after that. Uh, the sixth is the loyalist, and they're extremely, uh, they, they need security, and they're extremely loyal. And if you don't believe me, find a loyalist and ask them what happened the last time that somebody uh, did something disloyal to them. You'll get a good story, I'm sure. Uh, the seven is the enthusiast. Uh, they have a deep need to avoid pain. And the eight, the challenger who needs power, space to be self-reliant, and opportunities to be against something. And nine is the peacemaker who needs to maintain emotional peace above everything else in life, at kind of at any cost. So what we were told to do going into this weekend was to get this book called The Enneagram by Richard Rohr and to read through basically what I told you and to see which one starts to make you uncomfortable. Don't take the test online. Just start reading through the types. Find the ones that make you uncomfortable and then go and read the whole chapter about those ones that make you uncomfortable. When you find the one that like makes you squirm, makes you super nerd, like the one where you're like, somebody's reading my journal, where they're like way too descriptive about something about you that you're not quite sure that you're willing to admit to other people, When you read the one that you're like, if somebody reads this who actually likes me, my friendship is over, then that's you. No lie. That is what they told us to do. It sounds really good, right? Sounds super fun. So I did, and I read through them, and I realized that I was a seven, the enthusiast. So let me tell you about sevens. We are the life of the party, 
No shocker there, right? Uh, we tend to be optimists. We like adventure. Uh, we really enjoy variety and spontaneity. Uh, we have lots of friends. We make life really interesting. Sometimes they call sevens like a party in a box. We show up and happiness happens. Uh, and sevens are basically the greatest type. And this tells you something about sevens, because if you don't believe me, ask one and we will tell you. Uh, we are the best. There's just no question about this. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, though, there is the, the flip side of that coin. And a lot of these strengths can also be used to mask the underlying need that's sitting there. And that's this, that we have a lifelong struggle with dealing with pain. We are hardcore avoiders. I don't mean that I just like kind of try and sidestep difficult emotions. I mean that it actually has taken the Holy Spirit and a lot of self-awareness for me to be able to engage with hard emotions in general. Like it, it goes against every fiber of my being to deal. And because of that, many sevens live their lives. And this is the part of the seven that I like hated every time that I read a description of it is that they call us Peter Pans. Not my favorite. I should have thrown I did go as Peter Pan for Halloween one time. That was a pretty hilarious picture, but I didn't think about it until now. Uh, but they call us Peter Pans, and there's, that's for a reason, because sevens, uh, it's not an uncommon thing for us to get kind of stuck wanting to just stay kids. We want everything to be fun. We don't want to deal with the hard stuff, so we get stuck, and that happens a lot. So for me, engaging my weaknesses... As I know my, as I learn who I am, has meant that I've had to embrace the reality that pain is inevitable. It means for me that in order to grow, that I've had to embrace and process suffering rather than just running away from it, which is what I naturally want to do. Uh, but thankfully, doing this has allowed me to actually have healthy relationships, unlike Peter Pan. Uh, instead of just trying to get everybody to, to smile and have a good time, although you cannot discount the value of smiling and having fun. I am still a seven. But uh, instead of being so focused on that, I can walk beside people who are going through stuff, who are in places of pain, instead of just trying to change it for them and put a smile on the, their face, just giving them a cupcake and walking away. You know... Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. We engage our weaknesses not just for self-awareness, not just for like, so we know what they are, but we do it so that Jesus can move in us so that he can transform us, so that he can change us, so that he can make us more like him. Now, I want to, get, again, give a quick uh, shout-out for July 23rd. If you're interested in this sort of thing, come on out. It'll be pretty fun. Joel Hubbard, who's leading it, uh, he makes it pretty fun, uh, talks about all the uncomfortable relationships that he has and that you have. Uh, it'll be a good, if you like personality test stuff, if you have friends who like it, this is a great one to bring them out to. Uh, so come on out to that. The third way that we're encouraged to know ourselves is by befriending the self that is revealed. So basically what that means is that now that we know what our weaknesses are, we create space for Jesus to move. 
Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus does this beautiful thing, and he loves us even when we're still jacked up. He doesn't ask us to get perfect before he loves us, before he accepts us. Instead, he loves our whole selves, the polished parts, the pretty parts, and the junky parts, the uncomfortable parts, the parts that we want to keep in the, hidden in the closet. He loves all of who we are. So why would we ever reject what it is that Jesus has already accepted? Why would we say that we have to cut out half of ourself because it's not to the place that we want it to be at today? Jesus doesn't ask us to do that at all. David Benner again wrote that until we are prepared to accept the self we actually are, we block God's transforming work of making us into our true self. We must receive it with hospitality, not hostility. I love this concept of accepting it with hospitality because that doesn't mean that you're just saying like, okay, cool, well, um, you know, I, I do X, Y, and Z a little bit too much. So whatever, that's good. It means that we're creating spaces within our lives where Jesus can work. We're actively creating times. It's like we're setting up a living room that we go into and we ask the Holy Spirit to come and to be able to come and work in our hearts. It's not about accepting and never working on stuff. It's about creating comfortable places for Jesus to move. So how do we befriend our true selves? Well, two things. First, we need to value what we actually need. Parker Palmer wrote, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer to others. Anytime we listen and give the care our self requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for many whose lives we touch. And the second thing is that we need to pay attention to our limits. Now, this goes like 180 away from what our culture usually tells us to do, especially if you watch like shoe commercials or something. This goes completely opposite. Uh, we, we give like terrible advice about limitations, things like the only limits that exist are in your own mind. The thing I love about uh, advice about limitations is that it's all anonymous. Honestly, I could not find a single one that anybody was willing to claim. Uh, the set, you know, another one, if you want it badly enough, there are no limits to what you're able to achieve. This is just junk. Like, it's so wrong. There are limits to what you can achieve. Sorry to break it to you. It's just the reality. Or that iconic piece of wisdom from shoe commercials, accept no limits, just do it. If your best advice comes from a shoe company, you're not trying hard enough. Uh, <laughs> dig a little deeper. It's there. Believe me, you can get more wise advice from other places. The reality is, is that we all have limits and that we all need to learn how to live within our limits. This is healthy. It's not constraining. It's healthy. You do not have a bottomless fountain of energy or creativity or intelligence or innovation or courage or whatever it is that you think that you want. It's just nobody does. It's not there. Acknowledge your limitations and live within them because limitations are not weaknesses. 
feel like that's like, if I'm going to do one self-help thing, I want us to say that, which I don't really, but you know, you like the dude up on stage, like limitations are not weaknesses, but it's real. They are two different things. Limits are just how you were made. Embrace that. Don't reject it. Don't say that it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Jesus knew how to live within his limits. He was human. He had limits. Mark 6, then Jesus said, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest. He said this because, and this is hilarious that Mark has to include this detail, because there are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Thanks for the details. So they left for a quiet place where they could be alone. Jesus was a human. Humans need to eat. And humans need space from needy people who all they want is to grab something from him. Right? You can't spend your entire life in situations where all of everything is getting pulled out of you. You need to be in spaces where you can acknowledge the reality of who you are, of what your needs are, of what your limits are, so that you can get refilled. This is healthy. It's not bad. It doesn't make you a bad person to acknowledge that being around needy people all the time doesn't work for you. That means that you're acknowledging the, re the way that you are made. Start, so start trying to be human. Stop trying to be American and start trying to be human. We all are. Eat food. Don't be around needy people all the time. Live your life the way that you need to live your life. That's a good thing. Being hospitable towards yourself means that we need to be honest and value what our needs are. It means that we need to know how we were created and learn how to live within the limits that we have for our lives. Instead of just being jealous of other people's seemingly endless supply of energy, creativity, money, intelligence, courage, innovation, fill in the blank. Find joy in who you are and embrace that. Find joy in how you were created. Do you know that Jesus finds joy in the way that you're created a lot more than he finds joy in you trying to be like the person sitting next to you? He made us this way. Don't reject it. Own it. It's good. You are not bad. You are good. You are created in the image of God. That's a good thing. Find joy in that. Learn how to live within that instead of trying to be like somebody else. That's not who you're supposed to be. As we come to an end, we learn who we are so that we can love others and we can love Jesus. Because the only way that we can love Jesus and love others is through owning the truth of how we've been made. Pete Scazzaro wrote that Jesus was not selfless. He did not live as if only other people counted. He knew his value and worth. At the same time, Jesus was not selfish. He did not live as if nobody else counted. He gave his life out of love for others. From a place of loving union with the Father, Jesus had a mature, healthy, true self. The worship team wants to come back up. We constantly live in this tension between overvaluing ourselves and undervaluing ourselves. But the invitation always, and the invitation today, is to come to that middle spot. Because you know what you're going to find in that middle spot? Jesus. That's where Jesus wants to encounter us. And that healthy spot of valuing ourselves in the way that he values us.
not dismissing, not overvaluing, but loving ourselves well so that we can encounter him and be changed by him. This morning, friends, I just want to encourage you to know, learn who you are so that you can be transformed by Jesus. So that you can love him and you can love others well. Let's stand and then we're going to transition to a time of worship, but let's pray. Jesus, I just pray over us. I pray for for us, for those of us here who struggle with undervaluing ourselves, who struggle with comparison, who struggle with feeling like we are not enough in and of ourselves. We pray that as we worship this morning, uh, that we will see ourselves the way that you see us. That we'll see see ourselves with the love that you see us. Let us encounter that. And I pray that we will walk out of this place today with joy, knowing that who we are is a reflection of you. It's a good place to be. We are your children. We are those who are loved by you, have been made by you. Allow that to be our truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.